0: Thanks for joining us on a Wednesday morning edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. We are going with a new segment today on the podcast, breaking in five things I Clyde and four things I Dolan, blatantly stolen from Zach Lowe's 10 Things I Like and Don't Like. We're going to break down the Hornets, Pacers, and Suns games through the means of little idiosyncratic qualities of both players and team-wide trends that I have noticed and either Clyde or Dolan. You can figure out which one's which. Let's get into it next on the Locked on Knicks podcast. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw. If the audio is a little quieter than usual, it is because it is 1.16 in the morning and there are people sleeping. So I apologize for that. Slight change in the schedule for this week. Um, the original plan was to have this episode come out uh, Tuesday and then to have Jonathan Macri of Knicks Film School on Friday. And we actually already recorded that one, and I think it went really well. We are discussing um, actually ranking in order from least likely to most likely um, every player on the Knicks roster in terms of their all-star viability so who's most likely to make at least one all-star game in their career I think it was a fun exercise and a good excuse to just kind of go over the long-term upside of again just about everyone on the on the Knicks roster so that was a that was a whole lot of fun and uh, as always I've said it a couple times on this podcast but if you haven't I encourage you to check out uh, Knicks Film School they really do great stuff And then I believe on either Saturday or Sunday, I haven't uh, quite decided yet, we are going to drop a podcast with Leva Khabis that is also recording uh, tomorrow. And uh, he's uh, someone I was pretty good friends with in high school, Uh, went to Cornell for college. So you know he's he's much smarter than I am. Uh, Arizona State here, so polar opposites. Um, He also interned for Slam Magazine, currently working for the New York Times, and really, really knows his hoops. Also does a mean Mike Breen impersonation, so I'm going to ask him to uh, pull that out on the podcast. And then the plan for next week, uh, Alex gets back from his honeymoon, uh, so he will be back on the podcast. The bad news is I am heading to South Carolina for four days to broadcast a high school basketball tournament. So you're going to be going from one host doing it solo to the other. And then um, it'll it'll be this abrupt shift the week after when we are both back uh, doing it full time, and that'll be the new normal. It, it's it's kind of like um, the kid with um, divorced parents, and you're constantly like jumping back and forth between the houses, and then one of them brings in like a step parent that you don't like, and then you get attached to them, and then they leave, and then no no I'm not speaking from personal experience. Uh, but anyways, I, I, I empathize with all of you. I know it's been difficult, and we appreciate you sticking with us after next week. We will be whole again, uh, and uh, I, think, I think we're going to kill it. I'm really excited about where this podcast could go, but uh, I think more importantly, even than both of us being back together, we will get back to the normal schedule four to five times a week, um, hopefully an episode after every single game. In the meantime, uh, for those of you that have stuck with us through Thick and Thin, I, I really, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate it. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, five things I Clyde and four things I Dolan. Again, it's just based off. It's not even based off. It, it's a blatant uh, theft of Zach Lowe's ten things I like and don't like. Um, I had one extra like this week, so we're just uh, or, or Clyde, as it's known on this podcast. So we'll we'll stick with that. All right. Let's get into it. All right, we are going to start off with a Clyde because we are nothing if not positive on this podcast. And it's Emmanuel Moutier's mid range game, which has just been incredibly impressive to me and and not something I necessarily knew he had. I know, uh, at least my understanding is. It's something that he's shown in fits and spurts throughout this season, but I mean, just watching him a little bit last year, I, I didn't really notice him being particularly effective in this area. But at, at this point, just his ability to leverage his frame and get guys on his hip and keep them there, it's something you see smaller guards in the NBA work really hard to master. Like Chris Paul was always the best in the league at this, like using his um, weirdly big butt to just keep defenders off of him and then pulling up and either drawing a foul Or getting um, a mid-range shot to go down, where at least in my mind and among shorter guards, he is just about better than anyone I've ever seen. That little 17-footer, like curling, like half-turn fadeaway, is is just deadly. It's one of my favorite shots in the NBA, and it's always made me a big fan of his game. Moutier's ability at six foot five is, I think, distinctly different just because of the physicality involved. Like for Paul. He has to get into like the small little like crouch and really just like awkwardly like stick his butt out and like just make the defender incredibly uncomfortable. Moody is so big that once he gets the defender on his hip, and and I think just as important as, as the strength to maintain that position is his ability to use. I guess just like subtle, like hesitation dribbles. I should really get into it and study more how exactly he gets guys, and like just a half step behind. But I, th- I think it's just the threat of his blow by speed. And, and the one quality he has possessed throughout his NBA career, despite a lack of nuance throughout his game, it is that physicality and that athleticism. And he uses it well to get guys on his hip, but then he provides it with a certain skillfulness to be able to keep them there and then the touch to hit in the mid range. And at least to me, the most important thing, and again, this is where you go back to what um, I guess the, the common refrain is with Moody, especially now that he's playing playing well, is, is that the guy's only 22, and it kind of it makes sense that he's just starting to figure things out in the NBA on a consistent basis. But you can tell there's a certain calm to him at this point. He's not rushing. He gets a guy on his hip. And at that point, he's comfortable knowing that he's going to be able to get a shot off and he's going to make it. And and that confidence and that comfort shows up time and time again and it has resulted in a consistency that he has distinctly lacked throughout his career, and you saw it against the Suns, the back-to-back-to-back mid-range shots. You saw it when he took over in the fourth quarter against the Charlotte Hornets, where he outscored their entire team by himself over the fourth quarter's first seven-plus minutes. Um, He's just playing outstanding basketball over his last uh, nine games uh, the month of December. 20 points, six assists, four rebounds, 48% from the field, 37% from three-point range, 83% from the foul line. I'm excited about what he's becoming. And I wonder if even within the context of this season, I I don't think a step forward is realistic, but can he maintain this at some reasonable level of efficiency? Can he finish the year at 18-5-3, and shooting 45% from the field, 35% from three-point range, and 78% from the foul line? Because that would represent an immense step forward and one, I think, worthy of the Knicks making some level of investment in him. All right, now let's head to a Dolan. Uh, The Knicks zone defense is the definition of a Dolan. I don't get it. It is uh, juvenile. It is childish, whatever term you want to throw out. NBA teams don't play zone defenses, and there's reason for it. The Knicks, every time they've gone to it, um particularly noticed it in, in the Pacers game and the um, Suns game because I think at points against the Hornets, they actually used it throughout their comeback, and it worked relatively decently for them. But eventually you, you put it on film and you don't use it as a shock tactic. Teams are going to pick it apart because this is the NBA, and these guys are just far too skillful as three-point shooters to have consistent success using a zone with anything but some of the best defensive talent in the league. And if you have some of the best defensive talent in the league, there's no way you're playing a zone to begin with. The reality is for the Knicks is that as long as they're playing Ennis Cantor and Tim Hardaway as part of the rotation, and not only that, but as two of the vets in a rotation with a whole lot of young players, the defense is inevitably going to be bad. And it's going to be amongst the worst two, three, four In the league, I I don't really see any other result as being exceptionally sustainable, and I I think a zone is just—I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm—I'd be interested to hear, um, and and Fizdale probably has commented on, and I just haven't seen it. But I'd, I'd be interested to hear him kind of expand his thoughts on it, and maybe he thinks it's good developmentally because obviously a zone places a premium on communication, which the Knicks have clearly lacked a number of times in um, games this year. You see them constantly at breakdowns because they don't know who's switching on a pick and roll. And in the zone, they've had similar breakdowns because they they have two players covering one area, and they've, uh, multiple times, like particularly when Enes Cantor is in, have left guys wide open in the dunker spot, and that's obviously resulted in automatic finishes. So I'm... Um, I'm curious what the rationale is and whether Fisdale thinks it's developmentally um, a positive. I would say that you should let someone like Kevin Knox get as many reps as possible guarding NBA wing guys, let him take his lumps, keep working on um, both his ability to communicate and get lower in his stance, which I think has been one of his biggest problems so far, and continue to improve his lateral quickness. But um, I, I, I think I think it's pointless, I guess is what I'm saying. All right, with that, we'll take our first break. We'll come back uh, a couple more Clydes, a couple more Dolans for you, and uh, we'll finish on that next on Locked on Knicks. Thanks for joining us back on the Locked on Knicks podcast we are getting back into it with a Clyde, and this is a quick one because I don't have a lot of evidence of it, but I saw it one time in the Hornets game, and it made me happy. Uh, Mario Hazonia post-defense. The guy um, doesn't look overwhelming physically, but he just has a strong base, and, and he has that swagger that I think everyone saw coming into the draft when he was talking about how he should have been the number one pick. And he, I think he genuinely believes he's the next Michael Jordan and nothing that's happened in his career so far could be construed as as evidence to the contrary. Um, And I think that swagger comes out in his post defense. It's kind of like uh, James Harden, who's a poor defender in other areas, not saying Kazonia is though, he's fine, he's okay. Um, But certain guys that they take pride in not getting bullied on the post and Hazonia is just kind of like a stubborn bull down there, so that's kind of a quick one. And I'm going to keep looking for more specific examples to cite, but uh, I think I think that's fun, and I think it's it's kind of the mentality you want out of your guys. And I think it's in particular the mentality you want out of a Nick. I think it embodies some New York values. So shout out to uh, Mario Hazonia for doing that. All right, this next one uh, pains me, but I have to hand out a Dolan to Frank Nilakina, and it's for the opposite reason we gave. Emmanuel Mudiay, Clyde, and that is his mid-range game. There are times when he's hot, like the two consecutive games off the bench where he posted 18 points, 16 points, two of the best scoring nights of his career. He was he was hitting his pull-ups, and he looked great doing it. But the question of how sustainable that was was always on my mind. Um, I've heard people on other Knicks podcasts talk about it, and I can't remember. I think it was on Nick's Film School. Someone made the point that it was just kind of funny that people were were so, in, and I include myself in this, um, were, were so excited about those two games from Neil Aquina. But a lot of the things he was doing to find success were the same things you saw the other two point guards, Moody and Burke, do to find success, attack out of the mid-range in a way that might not be super sustainable. So I dove into the stats to see how sustainable it was. And from 10 to 16 feet, um, Nilakina is actually having a very good season shooting the ball, 44%, which isn't outstanding, and it's it's kind of the reason you you want a, your guys shooting layups or threes because they are inherently, I mean, if if you can get to those spots, because they are generally more efficient than that. But for a mid-range shot, 44% is actually pretty great. Um, where he's really bad, and where you've seen him start settling a little bit in these later games is 16 feet out to three-point range where he is shooting a pathetic 32 percent and that accounts for 11 percent of his shots and his shot distribution outside of three-point range which accounts for about 45 percent of his looks is relatively even just in terms of the percentage of his total shot attempts he takes within these ranges and from 16 to 30 or 16 to three-point range excuse me it is about 11 percent of his shot attempts. So that, that's a relatively high number considering how bad he is from there. And in my mind, the reason he's pulling up from 10 to 16 or even further is because he doesn't really have any kind of floater game or in-between game yet, an area where Emmanuel Mudiay has been excellent. And that's kind of what we were talking about, like getting guys um, on their back, getting into about 10 feet, and whether it's um, it's shooting a little turnaround or stopping before you get to the big and pulling up, Mudiay is excellent that area. Nilakina is terrible in that area. He is only hitting 30% of his shots from 3 to 10 feet. And out of the um, five areas where uh, basketball reference has these percentages, which I think is at the rim, 3 to 10, 10 to 16, 16 to 3, and from 3 and beyond, uh, that is the area where he's taking the least amount of shots. And it makes sense because he clearly knows he does not have that kind of skill set to hit those looks in his arsenal, so I would suggest that whatever the Knicks coaches worked on with Moutier last summer, they really work on with Nilakina to perfect because there's no reason he shouldn't be effective in that area, especially with the size he brings to the table, those little leaning push shots. He has, I think, not great, but solid, natural touch. Um, there, there's certainly an avenue for him to become successful on those shots. And the other big thing is him continuing to get more explosive because obviously the ideal is that he gets all the way to the rim where I think he will continue to get more effective as a finisher. And he's a guy that as he gets bigger, as he gets stronger, as he fills out and gets more athletic, which I think um, no matter how down you are on him as a Knicks fan, I think that is inevitable because he is still only 19 years old and you combine that with his length. I'm still very bullish on, I think, his long-term ability to attack the basket. But that is something that will have to come along sooner rather than later for him to be a positive contributor. All right, jumping back to Clydes. Uh, How about Kevin Knox hitting big three-pointers? He had the one to end the first quarter against the Charlotte Hornets, which was part of an incredible first half for him. And he just caught it and drained it from about 25 feet out. Um, that was one of just the purest shots we've seen him hit. That, it, it just, with the arc and the rotation, it did it did look like one of those classic Steph Curry threes. That it was just an utter and objective beauty to behold. Uh, he had the big one against the Cavs with a minute left, and then the two against the Pacers. One came with four minutes, and one came with 50 seconds. And, and the one with 50 seconds, the Knicks were essentially out of the game at that point, so it's hard to quantify it as a clutch three-ball but I think what really makes me bullish on his ability as a shooter and just his overall ability as an offensive player is him is actually him hitting those threes in relatively high-pressure situations. And not only in high-pressure situations, but in the one with four minutes left against the Pacers, um, it was off kind of a swing-swing action where the Knicks got into this beautiful passing sequence, and they just set Knox up wide wide open in in the corner and I always look at those shots and I I look at the guys who are automatic on those shots and to me that's the indicator of a great shooter like when you're watching a team you desperately don't want to win like me watching the Golden State Warriors over the last four years and and they have like some kind of great passing sequence and it results in just a wide open look and in, in your gut in your mind, you you just you just know the shot is going to go in. And and sometimes, sometimes it might not. But that sense that you get, I think it's an intuitiveness that comes with, with watching the game for a long time and, and people who watch the game for a long time starting to get a feel for the game and, and these rhythms that get repeated game after game after game year after year after year, and it's really, I I think, I I don't have any, I don't have the numbers to back this up, but I I think it's your mind starting to detect a pattern that there are certain guys that are just killers in those situations, and I think it's the combination of talent and having a certain sense of, of the moment, because those are the kind of plays that are highlights when the shot goes in, and the ability to punctuate those plays consistently and to have that little and I think I think all superstars possess this to one degree or or another, but to have that little extra focus kick in on a big moment on a pivotal three and just lock in at a slightly higher level and, and to make those shots feel automatic in, in the minds of people who, who watch them, I, I think it's a quality that Kevin Knox as a teenager already possesses to some degree or another. And um, I'm probably reading far too much into this. But to me, that's indicative of a guy that is going to be a star down the road. And it obviously makes me very bullish on him. All right, so with that, we will wrap up our second segment on the Locked on Knicks podcast. And when we come back, we'll finish up with four quick ones. Um I think we got, let's see, one, two, two more, two more Dolans, unfortunately. And then um two more Clydes. We'll get into that next Locked on Knicks. Welcome back, third and final segment on the Locked on Knicks podcast. Again, I'm your host, Gavin Shaw. This is your daily New York Knicks podcast that has not been daily and will not be daily probably until the beginning of January. So again, I apologize for that. It's going to happen. I hope you're enjoying our infrequent but hopefully high-quality podcast in the meantime. Um, and wow, I just, I I realized I've been, I've been so low energy this episode and I just, I I think people are probably just in shock because you're so used to James, who I was, I was convinced was on, on some kind of upper, but I I think, I think it was all on natural and his just incredible energy episode in and episode out. So I, I, in, in future episodes, I will, I will strive, uh, that, that aren't recorded at two in the morning. I will, I will strive to, uh, to bring that to you guys. Um, I also wanted to take a second to remind you to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnNicks if you are not already. Um, I recently uh, live tweeted a Knicks Suns game, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I did it specifically. I, I usually I usually just because of my schedule, I don't really watch the games while well, they happen. But I happened to attend that one, and I, I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to make more of an effort to watch these games live or relatively close to live, and uh, try and get some more fan interaction because I really. Do enjoy it, and you can always, um, if you have a question you want answered on the pod, that is honestly my my favorite thing in the world to do because I feel like I'm I'm actually providing a little bit of, of utility and a little bit more of a of a personalized experience on these podcasts, which is, is something I think me and both out me both me and Alex are are really going to uh, strive for going forward. Um, and then as always, uh, if you can take some time, uh, review us on iTunes, um, it really does help. You can give us five stars, even if you give us one star, but you write something funny. Or, or better yet, give us five stars and, and just call us assholes and, and talk about how we aren't as good as James. I think that that is really striking uh, the perfect balance. All right, with that, let's get back into it. Uh, Clydes and Dolans were doing nine today because that was that was all I could come up with. Uh, I think with Alex back, we should, uh, assuming we make this a regular segment, uh, we should be able to pretty easily get to ten. All right. Uh, one, one slight Dolan that's uh, still kind of a Clyde because it, one, involves the man himself, and, and two, because I thought it was kind of funny. Um, he described a dunk as a dunk shot at one point, and it really – I started cracking up because I did that um, one time as a PA announcer. Just um, – I was doing um, – I used to work for the, uh, the basketball tournament, which I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with it, but I it, it's it's a lot of fun. It's essentially this um, two million dollar winner takes all tournament that is mostly composed of alumni teams of uh, former uh, or well of, of colleges across the country. Like Ohio State does it every year. VCU has one every year, and then there are a couple of international teams. There's there's a team of basically some of the best Americans in Europe that has won I think each of the last four seasons now, and has, has gotten just a a lot, a lot of money, um, from that, anyways, I used to be the, the first, uh, or the second and third year of the tournament, I was a PA announcer for them, one time I said a dunk shot instead of a dunk, just, again, to kind of fuck with people, and, um, I thought, I thought it was stupid, but also funny, and immediately got yelled at, so I think the term is kind of triggering for me at this point, but, uh, I just thought, I just thought it was kind of weird, and, uh, I don't know if it was Clyde uh, showing his age a little bit or him just trying to be a little bit offbeat like I was, but I, I guess it's, it's really it's somewhere between a Clyde and a Dolan because I I, I enjoyed it, but I can understand how other people would find it ridiculous. All right, uh, one that is definitely a Clyde, the Mitchell Robinson just volleyball-style dunk. He, he's one of the few guys in the NBA, and obviously Dwight Howard in his prime, used to do this. I got to watch Jared Allen of the Nets do it a lot over the last two years, but he's one of the few guys in the league who just throws the ball in, and I'm specifically thinking of the dunk he had against the Hornets off a lob from Courtney Lee. That was just epic, because it it was this pick and roll where Lee kind of wrapped around the right elbow while Robinson was rolling on the left side, and it was a good job by Lee drawing the defense in the other direction, and Kaminsky was kind of Stationed in the middle of the lane, and and I guess in his mind he was back far enough that he could recover on Robinson if Lee tried to get him the ball. But Lee just throws up this one-handed, just like underhanded toss of a lob, and Robinson goes up, catches it with one hand effortlessly, cocks it back, and just tomahawks it in. It, it honestly, it looked it looked like something out of a video game, and he's he's only what like twenty or twenty nine games into his career or so. And he, I, I can't think of too many guys in the NBA who just look better when they're dunking. He, he is one of my favorite players on this team. I, I, hope he, I hope that remains true for the next ten years or so. I really, I really, genuinely do have a lot of love for the guy, Mitchell Robinson. Just absolutely awesome. All right, uh, one final. Dolan, uh, Tim Hardaway's absent-minded defense. I, I've mentioned, I mentioned it. I think the last two podcasts, but uh, again, there was one time where he just like left. Kemba all alone in transition in the first half of the Hornets game it was like kind of semi transition like they're up the court Hardaway's just kind of looking for a guy and they kick it to Kemba and he hits probably the the most open three he'll have um, this entire season and it's just inexcusable It's just a combination of a lack of understanding of the scouting report and who to prioritize in a situation where you don't have the numbers defensively and, and who to come out on, and I, I again, that just comes down to situational awareness, and, and then it was just, I, I don't know, there are just so many times with Hardaway where it seems like he's so indifferent defensively, and I know that he carries a relatively heavy load on offense, but given the fact that he's, he's a good player but not a superstar on that end, I, I just don't think it's an excuse for him to slack off in the way he does defensively, especially with him making the kind of money he's making and him being an example to the younger guys on this team I know it's not news to anyone that he's not a great defender but it's just it's just frustrating to me that you don't and he, he occasionally has good plays like he did like a really nice block I think on Walker or slash steal um misremembering it um in the final minutes of that Hornets game so we, we occasionally has flashes but I would just like to see more consistent effort from him and I think it would be a good tone setter for the younger guys on this team all right uh I'm sorry Yes, yeah, so that was my final Dolan. Uh, final Clyde is David Fisdale's reactions on the sidelines. I just love how incredulous he looks after, like, a call against the Knicks. And, like, you see other guys, like, screaming and pissy, but he just has this, like, he's like, what? Like, every time they get a bad call, and, like, I don't know. He's like, and he, like, scrunches up his eyes in, like, kind of a funny way. He's he's just great. He's, he's, he's so expressive. My, my favorite one was um, when Moutier almost hit just, like, one of the highest degree of difficulty buzzer beaters have ever seen. And, like, I think Clyde referenced um uh jr smith's um the one he had against the suns like four or five seasons ago and this one like mudier was like curling around and like he was like dribbling left and like fading to his left and just rattled in there and i like that like Fizdale like i feel like some coaches like you'd cut to them and they'd be like a little pissy or they'd be like expressionless so they'd be like on the floor like looking like away in the distance and I love that Fizdale just kind of started laughing like he was like it was such a tough shot and it really had like no right to go in but it it almost did and I love that he's cracking it up and I think he almost saw it as like all right like if we almost made that like we have all the momentum like we're gonna win this in OT like just just the positivity was awesome so uh shout out to David Fisdale I'm still I'm still I'm um, judging him as a coach and kind of forming my my long-term opinion of him, and I, I want to see more games. I want to see a, a better team, frankly, but uh, I, I like him as a human being. I, I feel confident saying that. All right, that is it for this edition of the Locked On X podcast. Uh, we will be back again um, Friday with Jonathan Macri, and then we will be back on Sunday with uh, Kabas. Also, exciting news I, I meant to share at the beginning of the podcast and completely forgot to. Uh, we are going to have a theme song again, which I am incredibly excited about. I know we've just been kind of coasting by on the intro as of now, but uh, we we were getting a new one, courtesy of Mimar Sinan, who made um, the last one um, for James, and I, I love the one James had. Uh, I'm really excited about what he sent us so far, and uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be awesome and a big so big time shout out. To uh, Mamar, if I am butchering his name, I I owe, I, I think, I'm sure you're listening, Mamar, so I owe you a uh, massive apology, and uh, we will get that right. But take some comfort in the fact that I butcher everyone's name, and I hope that helps. All right, until next time, I'm Gavin Shaw. This was Locked on Knicks.